sins are sins of pride that have dual great transgressional roots. Um, we could picture it if you would like, and if you like to have pictures in your mind, think of a tooth with two roots. That tooth is, uh, we could put pride on that. But one of the great transgressional roots was when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and by doing so, the earth was cursed, and all future generations born in sin, not knowing God, and when people talk of all the bad things that happen in this world, and all the difficult things in our lives, this was the single transgressional root that opened that all to all of us. I mean, that was a great transgression, the great transgression that happened. But there's also another great transgression. Romans 5.12 said, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all is sin. That's that first <coughs> we talked about. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The other great transgressional root is not accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can't think of any two worse things that God so loved you that he sent his only son to save you from the penalty from your sins, to redeem you to himself, that you might have power to overcome life here. That's kind of in that poem was talking about that. And power to be resurrected, to live eternally with God forever and ever and ever. And in the scriptures this morning, in the psalm, I've seen that word ever and ever and ever and ever several times repeated. I like that. There's no two greater, greater transgressions than these. Men's choice to bring sin into the world and men's choice to refuse God's great salvation. Both transgressions, they're great roots of pride. The morning we're going to look at the contrast to pride, which is humility. The message will be entitled, The Fruit of Humility. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word and we look into the scriptures we're going to view some men Lord God who represent humility in their lives and different aspects of that and Lord may we see those and may we look at our lives against those lives and those aspects and may we have God reveal the truth in our lives whether we're humble or whether we struggle with pride. Now, Father, I just pray you bless this message. Lord God, give me the words and give, open the hearts of people. May the Holy Spirit do the work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this morning we're going to take a look at the characteristics of humility from six men in the Old Testament. You say, where did you get these six men? I believe just God gave me the thoughts of these six men in consideration of being humble people and their aspects. Some of them we've already talked about. One I didn't include, who I, I feel could be a humble man, was David. But I just I didn't feel like his life represented what I would call just humility. He had great humility, but at times he struggled in pride. I, I just didn't see putting him on that list. There may be some others that could go on this list, but these are the ones that as a whole stood out to me as being humble. Now, humility, like pride, has origins. Let's turn to John chapter 15. You know, Jesus liked to give pictures where you can understand. Because he gave us this world, by the way, and the way it's created so we can understand some things. We can see things and we can apply them. Uh, they weren't just haphazard, uh, the way God made trees or why we have a driveway. I mean, you could look at anything in the building. You know, he uses all those things. He had intent for them. They were purposeful. Nothing was haphazard. And so here in John 15, beginning in verse 1, he uses uh, the vine and the branches and fruit. Here he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the work which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Well, here's a good way of worship coming out. That ye bear much fruit. God wants us to do that. He says that's how God is glorified, and Father is glorified. The men we're going to talk about today were believers in God. Their lives were firmly submitted to God, to His will, and not their own. Consequently, their lives bore the fruit of God. Now, we're only going to take a brief look at these six men to draw, draw out what I consider a single characteristic that, that I want you to see in each of these men. Each one of them is a little bit different characteristic of the fruit of their humility. Now, may I say that everything starts with a relationship with God. Those who have refused to accept Christ live in pride, and they can appear as humble men in this world. Boy, he's such a humble God, but if he's not a believer, he is prideful. He, he does not acknowledge God for who he is and who he is God accepted Christ is uh, his salvation. They're right. Okay? So don't get hooked on that. There's a certain form of pride that's 
or form of humility out there that's really not humility, it's only surface humility. All humility begins from accepting Christ as your Savior. And it takes humility to do that. But let's start with Noah. Genesis 6 5, and if you can catch up, that's fine. Um, if not, you can just write down the verses and you can read them later. Genesis 6 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. How should imagine this? Continually evil. We don't. We don't understand that today. Um, we may think things are pretty bad, and in, in, in a way of looking at it, they are bad, but not like it was then. It said, and the Lord said, "I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them." But then a famous verse in the Bible, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now, look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteousness before me in this generation. Noah was a saved man. And I believe he saw to it that his whole house, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were saved as well. And it's, you know, I, I love the, those verses that says, and his house. You know, it just, it almost shows that if the, if the, if the dad and the parents get right, that it, the whole house will uh, become saved. You will know the Lord Jesus Christ. Noah served God when all the world was evil around him. Now, he probably had a few relatives that died before his wife. And he spent his life, a lot of his life, building an ark. No doubt, if you can think about it even in today's world, and then apply it to what that world is like there, no doubt. He was ridiculed by the world. He was the butt of every joke. He was probably the laughing stock of all the evil people around him. Yet, he would remain separated and holy before them. The scripture says that Noah was a preacher. I assume he preached to this evil generation of what I imagine, and he was probably mocked for. 2 Peter 2, 5, and spared not the whole world, whole world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Here's the fruit 
of Noah's humility in the most humiliating circumstance any man could be subjected to. Noah just kept with the plan, preaching when nobody was listening and building when there was no rain in sight. How about you? Are you steadfast in your service to God like Noah? No matter what, Noah was by faith. He believed God and he just kept doing it. I mean, that applies to us. This is not just Noah. I mean, we need to just keep going no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what things are being said, whether people are listening or not. You know, if I come to church here and I'm supposed to preach and nobody shows up, I'll go just come here and preach to the wall then, you know? Preach to every creature. Maybe there's a few ants that would uh, pick up on it. I don't know. But that's what Noah had. I mean, can you imagine? There, were, there wasn't anybody. There wasn't anybody. But he preached anyway. Let's talk about another man, Job. We've talked about him before. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Again here, we are assured that Job was a saved man. He had a relationship with God. Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and assured evil? We also see that not only was Job saved, he was committed to serving God. Now, God permitted Satan to take away all he owned, take away his family, and even his own health to test Job. To see if Job served God because of God's blessings, or he served God despite the blessings. Now, uh, Nick Benninghouse, he said he was listening to a uh, Bible study. And they brought out the point, and it's, it's somewhat obvious, but we may not think about it. But Job went through all this not, un, not knowing what this conversation was between God and Satan, what was happening. He just got all this happening to him. So he, he wasn't privy. So how did he do? Job 1.20 says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And Brother Mike, what did he do? He worshipped. A lot of like what he's saying. A lot of the word worship has to do with just bowing yourself down to the ground. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's the blessed. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job chapter 2, verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. And said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. I don't know about you, but I've been in less serious situations. But 
he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What is he talking about the foolish women? Those who don't know God, who don't really know him in their heart. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. His wife would be against him, and his three friends were pretty good at the beginning. Better friend than maybe I would be to people, you know. Sat down with him and lamented with him for, I think, seven days. But then they began to tell him what he was doing wrong. They were wrong. The only thing he could retain, no matter what, in this situation, was his relationship with God. That's the only that he had, that, that was his choice. And herein we find the fruit of Job's humility. Job was determined, would never say anything bad about God, no matter how difficult the circumstances. That's a humble position, folks. How about you? What do you do when you get down? When you are tired? When you feel grumpy, when things don't go your way, when the extreme hardship comes. I'll tell you, we've been going through some things at church here with people, just some difficulties, but they're minor in comparison to Job. But what do you do? Do you bless God? Or do you curse him? Grumbling is just cursing God in a man. Will you defend the goodness of God at all costs? That's humility. Or will you put aside your relationship and deal with it with frustration and anger? And that's how it comes out. And I kind of have those steps I have to really watch it. You know, if I get down, I'm tired. I can be kind of short, curt. Um, and, and that's that's nothing but problem. Now let's move to another to the third person. Let's move to Abraham. I told you, just briefly. This is kind of the overall characteristics that you see in them. They're all kind of different. Abraham was told by God to move away from his family to an unknown place. He was living in tents among strangers. <laughs> he was told to send away his first son born, which was in the will of the flesh, Ishmael, who he loved very much. He was an older man. You get older and you begin to just love and appreciate those children even, even more. And he loved Ishmael, but God sent him away and cast out the bond woman. That was a difficult thing to do. Even God even showed him to disown that son. God telling him to take his son when he said, when he was referring to Isaac, his only son. My only son. What does that say? And sacrifice him before God. How hard was that? In which he was willing to follow God's command, having drawn his sword or his knife to slay his own son before God. Here's the fruit of Abraham's humility. 
Abraham did what God told him to do very, very hard things. We'll do a lot of things for God, but what happens if he asks us to do something very hard or very difficult? What about you? Have you placed limits on what you will do for God? Are you wanting to stay in the current difficulty God has put you in? Or are you looking for an easy way out? Are you looking for a softer, more self-pleasing life? One that is shallow? Or are your goals to do more for God and more for others? That's a serious question. Especially when you get older. You look for those times when you can rest. You look. Things become difficult. They become harder physically. And to keep going for God and kind of your flesh wants to say, Ooh, I can have this little life over here. You know, I've even thought about, oh, that would be that would be really neat if I had like a home in Florida when it gets cold. You know, I understand those people now. <laughs> I could run down there, you know, that you know, this is all in the flesh. But then God's called me to do what He's called me to do. I said, There's no way to do that. Um, sometimes they're difficult things. And you just got to do it. That's what God asks you to do. I'm not saying that's wrong for somebody to do that. Well, you better ask God about it. Ask God about your job. Are you looking for looking for that resting place, that retirement? I'll tell you what, that's just that retirement thing is. It's not of God. <laughs> you may do something different. But you always ought to be giving to God and giving to other people. If you're looking for a resting spot, you're in a bad spot. You're in a spot fine. Now let's move to Joseph. He's one of my, he's one of my heroes in the, in the Bible. Hard to find anything wrong with him. He's a picture. You can see the picture of Christ if you, if you go through it and, and, and pick that apart. It's, it's amazing. And we talked about his life recently. He knew how to be under his authorities, and he served them. From the good people, like his father, who he served, to the unregenerated rulers of Egypt, from his humility, then he was lifted many times to a place of authority. Eventually, to be the authority even over his own family, just as the dreams he had as a young man that God gave him, that his brothers hated him for. Joseph's fruit of humility was this. Joseph served whoever he was at. That made no difference. And when he was lifted in as an authority. He served those under him. His own family. Who in the flesh. He could have hated. What about you? Do you find it hard to fall under? Do you find it hard to serve those under you? The humble heart only seeks to serve 
Okay? You listen to me? The humble heart only seeks to serve whether he's under authority or in authority. There's no difference there. In fact, the scripture kind of warns us about being too many masters because they will receive a greater condemnation. So let's now move to Moses. God called Moses the weakest man on earth. Numbers 12.3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. The word meekness is a Hebrew word anav. It means de depressed figuratively in mind gentle or circumstances, needy, especially saintly, humble, lowly, meek, poor. Interesting words there. You know, meekness is like one of those words that that we find hard. How do you how do you describe what meekness is? If we use Moses, okay, as God called him the meekest man on earth, I think we should look at what his attributes are. Meekness is a, it's a form of humility. But let me first give you some defining other defining scriptures of meekness. When I looked up that word, every one of them is, is positive. Numbers 12, 3. Again, now the man Moses was very meek above all men that were upon the face of the earth. Psalm 22, 26. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Psalm 25, 9. The meek will be guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Psalm 37, 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 76, 9, When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. Psalm 147, verse 6, The Lord lifted up the meek. He casted down the wicked down to the ground. Psalm 149, 4, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Isaiah 11, 4, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. Now let me go um, in Matthew 5, 5, getting up repeats, uh, one in Psalms there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's referencing the Old Testament there. Many scriptures about meek all positive. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest on your souls. Jesus talking about himself. For you ladies, 1 Peter 3, 4, But it, let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, I have to say, as I was studying here, um, Moses, I had the thought he was kind of like a mother. You'll see what I'm saying. Maybe you'll understand a little bit more about meekness because mothers take a lot, but they keep on going for their family's sake. So, what are the defining points of meekness and humility in Moses' life? He was given a hard time from his own people through the plagues. Yet he continued. Just read your Bible. 
He was railed on by his people at the Red Sea. Yet he continued. He was railed on by his people for lack of food and water in the wilderness. He was overburdened by judging the people and wanting to just serve and help all the people. He tried to serve them all. So his father-in-law helped him out a little bit there and gave him some ideas of how to manage all that. But think of his heart. Think of meekness. That's, that's where that was stemming from. He was replaced with a golden calf by the people of the wilderness. He was conspired about from the priesthood. He was even conspired against by Aaron and Miriam, his very own family. Yet he prayed and cared for them despite all. He had some times where he was frustrated. But he was mean. Regardless of all that, that happened, here is the fruit of humility in the life of Moses. Moses was committed to the leadership of the family of God. Regardless of the drama, and there was plenty of it, regardless of personal perjury, which there was plenty of it, what about you? When you are sought to be knocked down and discouraged, when you are perjured by various forms of social media attack, when your own family knocks you down, do you stand in anger avenging yourself? Or do you humbly continue to love and help those people even when they're casting? Let's turn to our final character, and that would be a Daniel. You know, Daniel, scripture, I have a hard time finding anything. You can imagine against Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He was purposed. About Daniel, you see, he was purposed. He had routine. Daniel 6.3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. That sounds like Joseph. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Man, could that be said against us or toward us? Then said these men, We shall not find occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We're gonna we're gonna make something to where what he's doing going to be wrong before the king did. Then these presidents, princes, assembled them together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains had consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, say of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed. 
according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. We were talking about true worship and false worship. He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know what they could count on? They could count on Daniel doing what he always then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. In the, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. Now, we understand who Daniel was, but he's going to make a confession because he is a part of a people. He's associated with. You know, a lot of times, folks, you'll see people, you know, something might happen in a church, and there's people who don't associate with it, who kind of step out of it. They don't make themselves a part of it. That's not good. We're all part of the problem. We're all part of it as a group. He says, I pray to the Lord my God and make my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled and even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants of the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Now I want you to look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. And I'm doing this all in the context of the humility of Daniel. So in those days, I, Daniel, mourned three full weeks. Never mourned three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three full weeks were fulfilled. What was Daniel's fruit of humility? Daniel had godly routine as priority. Regardless of political correctness. How committed are you to a routine of serving God 
through the study of his work, through regular prayer, through fastings, through attending church. Daniel had routines that were set and he was going to do regardless because he made them be priorities. Now all of these men were highly used of God because of their humility and so did God. Noah just kept with the plan, preaching when nobody was listening and building when there was no rain in sight. Job would never say anything bad about God, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Abraham did what God told him to do, even the very hard things. Joseph served whoever he was under or whoever he was over. Moses was committed to the family of God, regardless of the drama, regardless of personal perjury. Daniel had godly routine and priority, regardless of political Pianists come in, heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll end our message with those thoughts. With those six men and those aspects of, of humility. It's a challenge to us. Thinking of Noah and just all that was around him, but he just kept preaching. Doesn't our job is not to teach anybody anything? We just present the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work, and it's the people who receive it. That's God's business. But it can get discouraging. But we got to keep building. When people see us do strange things and live certain ways and cut costs in certain areas where they would have liberties but yet given an inordinate amount of money to God's work. That's just like building the ark. Folks, I mean, people don't understand that and, but we need to just keep on. Joe, when it gets tough, we better watch our words. Abraham, what is God asking you to do? Have you set a limit on God's, what, what you'll do for God? Or we sing that song, that, that song always rings to me, here am I, the Lord, send me. Can we really say that in our heart? Whatever God wants us to do, to do what he wants. Joseph served when he was under authority and he served those when he was in authority. He was a servant all through his life. Moses was committed to the family of God. Preachers, this is
ask God to help you. Ask Him from your heart. Amen. I hope you received a blessing from God's Word this morning. Besides Joseph, I could probably be, I might be able to pick in an area, but not very well in his life where pride got involved. Daniel had a hard time, but the others, they had some little shoots of pride that needed to be pruned. God says he pretty much things in a lot, so we'll talk about that next week. Bob, thank you for your work. Thank you for those who come. Here, pray for those who are sick, the Lord, or just stand back and keep people from being sick. And um, I want to tell you, we love you this morning. Help us to, to live for you, to give our life to you, to live, to give, to love, to care, all for you and for others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.